The following is for information purposes only and should in no way be construed as investment advice. For today's episode, I am joined by Ben McEwen of Dowgate Wealth for a conversation with Suk Chandal, the founder and CEO of Cakebox. Cakebox is a franchise supplier of egg-free celebration cakes, which has been listed on the AIM market for a number of years. Suk talks about his early family life and his career as a sweet chef, and how his daughter's request for a cake without eggs for her birthday led to the birth of Cakebox. In today's episode, we learn about the heritage of the UK water buffalo, the importance of family values to maintaining a culture in a growing business, what Mahatma Gandhi had to say about customer care, how regular exercise stimulates creativity, and some humbling examples of how to give things back as you go through life. Please enjoy our conversation with the maverick, Suk Chandal. Hi, Suk. Thanks very much for joining us today. I'd like to start by asking you about your life and career prior to the launch of Cakebox. What was family life and school life like for you? Well, I've got four children, three girls, one boy, and I had my mum and dad. I used to be, well, I still am, an Indian chef and an Indian sweet chef as well. So I made authentic Indian sweets, which we sold through our shop. And because we wanted authentic reproduction of the sweets that we made, I actually pioneered uh, the water buffalo in this country. And so I've got a herd of water buffalo, which we milked, and uh, we turned into sweets. Water buffalo? Water buffalo, that's correct. Oh, wow. Where do you keep those? Well, they're on a farm on Leamington Spa. Amazing. And all proper mozzarella is made out of buffalo milk, as you would know from Italians. And we crossbred a Romanian and an Italian buffalo to produce a British buffalo. And it happens to be the best in the world now. So how safe are these things? Aren't they quite dangerous, water buffaloes? Very docile. They're very, very docile. They just like to chew, eat and uh, sleep, really. That's brilliant. That is amazing. The qualities of the milk is so much better because it's 45% less cholesterol, 45% more protein and 45% more calcium than cow's milk we should all be drinking it that's why in india everybody's got a buffalo in their backyard it's also because of the qualities of the milk uh, some milk allergy sufferers can actually drink it as well so is the family sweet shop still running no i closed that about seven eight years ago i kept that one sweet it's a, a bit of milk and sugar and that is it it's an equivalent of a fudge but not a fudge and you still sell that yeah, you can taste that in any of our shops. And on the new boxes that we bought, I've got a photo of my dad and his history on there. So that's a little tribute to my or to my father. And was he a chef? Yes, it was. He came in 1962 as a bricklayer. And he was doing bricklaying. And then he decided to have a side business. Like, you know, all us Asians, we can't stand still. So he opened up his own shop in 68. He called us over in 68. We came over in May of 1968, and then he established a retail shop in 1974. But he was still working as a bricklayer, and eventually he stopped doing that and doing the shop full-time. Eventually, we bought the shop next door and the other shop next door, and they were all out on rent. One of them, the tenant left, and we said, what shall we do here now? We've got an empty shop. What shall we do? And my daughter 
all my family's lacto vegetarian, so no eggs, no meat, no fish, except me. If it walks and talks, I eat it, and if it's wet in alcohol, I drink it. <laughs> and uh, my daughter, she came to self for and she goes, Dad, I don't want eggs in my cake. So it's my birthday. Can you make me a cake without eggs? So what do you do? And fortunately, uh, this was the dying days of the Labour government, and they were helping local startups a lot. So they, they had a lot of seminars. I went to one. It was fascinating. We had a food technology scientist from the South Bank University. And I went to see her and I asked her, can you make me a recipe without egg? And she goes, of course I can. Six weeks later, and with a grant, she obtained a grant of £20,000. I had a recipe six weeks later. I had an empty shop and the rest is history. One of the things I was interested to understand, I'd heard part of that story before. Had you tried other ideas, other formats for these vacant properties, or was this the first one you tried? This was the first one I tried, actually. And because we lived in a very high Asian area, by removing that one ingredient, the egg, it became suitable for 99% of the population because the Sikhs and the Hindus, egg is considered meat. It became vegetarian. For the Muslim population, by removing the egg, it guarantees that there's no non-halal items in the cake, so it became halal by default. And for the indigenous population, it's love the taste. Yes, of course. And I think you are roughly about my age. Can you remember Naughty But Nice strap line from the marketing board about fresh cream cakes? Yes, I can. Our fresh cream cakes disappeared from the high street nearly 30 years ago. And so what I've done is I've brought that back. Because when we have a party, when we have a celebration, we don't worry about health and calories and sugar and everything because it's an indulgent treat. Isn't it once a year, like for my birthday, your birthday or anniversary, etc.? So why not have the best? And so having pure fresh cream cake with a bit of jam in it. And the thing is that we like to consider ourselves now the Amazon of the cake company, that we give it to suit the lifestyle of our consumer. Our consumer is so busy, they don't want to order in advance. They want it now. So we give them the option of ordering online, click and collecting in an hour, or order in advance if you want to. Walk into the shop, no order required, a lovely selection of cake, and we personalize it there for you there and then. So by doing that, we've created a new market where you know, people will celebrate occasions where they wouldn't before with a cake. For example, GSC results, A-level results. You don't know what you're going to get, but once you've got it, you can pop into our shops, five A stars, congratulations or commiserations, and you've got yourself a lovely cake, and you can celebrate with a cake where you wouldn't be able to do it before. At what point, you know, after you opened the first shop, did you realise that this was going to be, you know, it was obviously very pertinent for your family and for the Indian community. I think it was in East London. Correct. Was there a light bulb moment when you thought, this can be everywhere. This can be adopted by everybody. How did you get to that point? At that time, this was a very high cash generated business. There was a lot of cash. We were 80% cash, 20% credit cards. And the customers came in and goes, oh, can you open a branch in Leicester? And I said, no, not really, because how do I control all this cash? You know, being in Leicester, being in London, it's a long distance. How do I actually manage people? And manage, uh, and he goes, oh, in that case, sell me a franchise. And I said, what's a franchise? <laughs> First thing in the morning, I opened the post, and there was a letter there. The British Franchise Association show is on next week. 
would you like to franchise your business? And so I booked an appointment with them at the show, and they gave me four minutes. And when I got there, I started explaining what the concept was, and 20 minutes later, we were still talking. They said that this is business is viable, but you're going to need to have a test shop. And again, my brother-in-law just became redundant, and I go, look, I need a test shop. You've been made redundant. Would you like to try it? And he goes, yes, of course. So he opened up, and he's a or fresh off the boat. He's only been settled down for a few years. And I said, if he can do it, anybody can do it. My brother-in-law opened up in good maze, and that went really well. My second franchise, he walked into the shop. There were two young lads, 19 years old, and he goes, I'm fed up of working. Can you teach me how to make cakes? I want to open this up. I said, how about if I send you a franchise? And he's been with me ever since. It's obvious that family business and the culture around your extended family is a very important part of this whole journey and where the business is today. And just reading the material around the culture that you've created and nurtured at Cakebox is around those sorts of values. As the business has scaled from that early point, do you think there's challenges along the way of maintaining that culture as you grow? When we first floated, we had 86 shops. Now we've got in the circle of 176 shops. And it's exactly the same. It's one big family. Every Wednesday, we have a franchise forum or by Zoom where we all get together and we discuss the business, we discuss the issues or whatever, new progress, etc. Everybody has their input. And we still continue the family ethos. Or, for example, one of my franchisees, she's got five shops and her father runs one shop, her father-in-law runs the other shop, her mother-in-law runs the fourth shop. And her mum runs the fifth shop. This has continued throughout all my franchises as well. All families involved are young lady entrepreneurs who've changed their lifestyle and work-life balance by joining us. We open 11 to 7, so it's a much easier day. We employ over 1,200 young ladies who are now masters of their own destinies because they've got work where they can go to and foster a career as well. I guess finding these people is the key. and. What key criteria do you look for when you're looking for these franchisees? Is it just people you know, like, and trust? It sounds like they're all part of your family. We are so lucky, uh, touching wood, that we are franchisee-led. We haven't actually advertised for a franchise in the last 10 years. It's all word of mouth or on the website. And once a shop opens, it's a walking, talking billboard. And straight away, as soon as the shop front goes in, we get emails. Oh, I wanted to open here. Oh, I wanted to open here. We get an average of 100 applications a month, or 90% uh, we reject, and we get a conversion of about 3%. But these are all franchisees or potential franchisees who come to us. And with the pandemic, we've had a much higher increase in the quality of the franchisee and the amount of franchisees coming forward. And this is because of people wanted to make that change, wanted to make it their own business, without the risks of setting up a new start. I mentioned Cakebox to a former colleague of mine who's a retired manager from the city. And I was telling about Cakebox and how I thought it was a great business and that he should think about adding some for his portfolio. He came back to me a couple of days later and said, I think I might apply for a franchise rather than buy the shares. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm intrigued by this culture of family around your franchisees and this sort of weekly 
gathering and how you nurture that. Can you share with us any of the ideas or things that have come back to you from that process that you've adopted in the business or any sort of tweaks to the business that has come back from your franchisees? Well, an interesting story. Or you just told me that uh, before we went right on air that you tested positive for COVID. Our Orpington uh, franchisee, he contracted COVID. And because he was in the shop, the whole of the shop had to isolate all the staff. Now, you have a choice. Normally, what you have to do is just shut the shop down. But once in my community of franchisees found out that all these staff had to isolate, they stepped in and they provided their staff for no charge to run that shop to make sure it doesn't close down for the 10 days until they could come back. Oh, that's great. So they must all feel involved in the family as well. It's not just... uh... Oh, absolutely. They find it as well. So when uh, they run out of a stock, they've had an underorder, they've had a good week, they don't come running to the warehouse. They just go to their nearest franchise, other shop, and they ask them, can we borrow it? And they do. They all borrow, they give back, because the ethos is we're all in it together. We're not competition against each other. We're competition against the competition. And the more we expand, the bigger the brand awareness. And with the brand awareness, we make the business go further. And that is what we want, which our parents have always taught us, be together and you're stronger. And that's exactly what we do. And so they all get together. Any issues, you know, is resolved between them. So we have a, a WhatsApp forum. So if there's any, oh, my printer's not working or I can't find this tech design or could you, someone teach me how to do this tech design, the answers come pouring in from all my existing franchisees. So I don't have to get involved. So you mentioned there the competition. You know, the franchisees obviously don't consider themselves to be in competition with each other, quite the reverse. But how do you, from where you sit, think about your competition with the business? I've heard you said there are 185,000 birthdays every day in the UK. What's your share of that birthday market? Do you think about that? And how do you think about the other people that might supply that celebration cake? We are so lucky that we have no like-for-like competition in the country. Or we have older occupiers, independents, who own one shop or two shops. And there's a little small chain of about 12 shops in the Midlands. Another one in Wellingborough who's got four or five. We've got nothing that's like-for-like and nothing that's absolutely comparable to us. So we're very unique. We're very lucky that we don't really have any competition. But there's 365 days in the year. 68 million people in this country, 180,000 odd birthdays a day, and we want to get as much of that as possible. It's about changing perceptions. A few years ago, you know, it's all about icing cakes and that thick icing on a hard cake. And now that consumer is becoming more and more aware that they can have a very fresh cake or fresh cream made on the day for them to enjoy rather than having to have all these high sugar, solid icing cakes. And we're slowly, slowly penetrating into the market more and more. And we hope to get a much, much larger share of that 180,000. And that's just birthdays. And then we've got anniversaries and then we've got weddings. And we've actually created a market when it's Eve in the Muslim Eid calendar. Because no one used to celebrate with a cake until we came along. And now that's become our second or highest peak in the year, followed by... Christmas and New Year's Eve. We have so much demand at Christmas for a ghetto cake as their Christmas dinner 
that 60-70% of shops have to open on Christmas Day to cope with the demand. Do you have any idea how many birthday cakes you sell on an average day? We sell a lot of birthday cakes. <laughs> <laughs> but not 185,000, obviously. No, that, that, that is my wish list. That is my wish list. But even getting 10% of that a day is a huge amount. Just before the pandemic, before the lockdown, we had started talks with the delivery platforms to deliver our cakes. And we just launched a few days before the first lockdown. And we now don't consider those platforms as delivery platforms. We consider those as marketing platforms. And the reason for that is being is you've had your dinner and you fancy a sweet treat. So you've ordered a slice of cheesecake or you've ordered a slice of sponge cake from us. And once you've eaten that, you've enjoyed it so much, you've graduated onto a cake from our website. For example, one of our lower performing stores, which is in Upminster, within a space of a few weeks, doubled their turnover because people just did not realize that we were there and how good the cakes was. And because that was a very non-Asian area, they didn't associate that every cakes would taste so good. And so that prompted us to launch our delivery service from our website as well to enable the customer to get the full benefits of achieving a cake from us at any time, whether it be collection, delivery, or through the delivery platforms. You're obviously very passionate about the business overall, and you're very passionate about the family culture we've talked about, but you're also very passionate about the product and the development of new products. And you've spoken in the past of the work you've done on developing vegan cream and a totally vegan product. How big could this be for you, do you think, as a product extension? 95% of all our cakes, the product we sell is birthday cakes and anniversary cakes. We would love to serve the whole community. So the only community that's missing is the vegan. We don't consider it it's a huge market. So we're going to launch a seven-inch square cake for the vegan market. And I think it's more of a, with the meat market, for example, Greg's, they launched a vegan sausage roll, and that's primarily for the flexitarians, people who want to eat less meat uh, once a week or twice a week. And so that's why they've been very successful in that. And that's why Burger King, they're vegan burger, but they cook it on the same grill because they know the flexitarians don't mind that. It's not aimed at the vegan market. But with cake, people, whether you're vegetarian, you're meat eater and everything, you still have a cake of fresh cream, etc. Right? So that aspect of the market, the flexitarians, is not so defined because they're going to eat our cake anyway. But for the number of people who are pure vegans, we've actually going to launch it now in uh, late November. We've done the cream, we've got the sponge, and we're going to offer a seven-inch cake for the vegan market. So what they do, if you're vegan, you can have a birthday cake for yourself and you buy a normal cake for your guests because we don't want to have a confusion that we're all vegan. We want to offer our, our normal product and serve the vegan market as well. So will it be soya? Will it be oat-based? It's plant-based cream, and it's been specially formulated for us. Normal creams were 26% sugar, and we couldn't have that. So we got it reformulated with a very little sugar in there, but it tastes like cream as near as we can get it. So the nearest alternative to fresh cream that you're going to get. And... Uh, in the sponge, uh, we've had to remove all the milk proteins 
and we will replace them with tapioca and uh, some soya, etc. But I'm really optimistic about serving the vegan community. What other new products have you got lined up for us, Suk? Again, all other products are only about 5% of our sales. So we like to concentrate on our core product, which is the birthday cake, but reimagined. We had comments that even though they love fresh cream, they would like a slightly less amount of it. So what we did, we introduced our naked cake range. So there's no cream on the, on the sides. You can see the sponge and there's no cream on the sides. So we satisfy that demand. And uh, we've got a request for a special occasion cakes or a seasonal cake. So, for example, we're going to introduce a blueberry cheesecake for Christmas. And then we launch a, a strawberry cheesecake for summer. Or there's demand for lemon in the summer. And so we're looking into how we can get different flavors of the creams, etc., according to customers' wishes and the latest trends. And the latest trends at the moment, for example, is caramel cake. So we launched a range of caramel birthday cakes for our consumers to enjoy. And we've had very positive uh, feedback and sales from that. From the times we've met, Sue, you've always seemed super relaxed and calm. When running Cakebox, what keeps you awake at night? When I was 12 years old, my old yoga teacher said to me, by worrying, does it change the situation? By stressing, does it change the situation? No, it doesn't. So why stress? So live a happy life. And that's a philosophy I've taken from them. So I always are calm and collective and be happy. And that's what I like to be. My biggest thing was keeping me up at night was that what if the end food bakery burns down? What do I do? Where's my disaster recovery plan? By opening the two depots, one in Bradford and one in Coventry, which is a replica of the, our Enfield operations, that has eased my anxiety because we can now transfer production and distribution to any of those depots up north or in the Midlands. So now we've got a very streamlined uh, business. We've got a backup and we can serve the whole from Bradford. When we were delivering to our Bradford shop, it was 400-mile return trip. Now it's a two-mile return trip. So we reduced the road miles by 98% and helping on our carbon footprint. So from a more sort of tactical point, more more recently, you know, in terms of the day-to-day challenges with supply constraints and supply chain issues, what are the challenges of keeping your franchisees supplied with fresh sponge and other ingredients? Because we buy all our packaging in the Far East, we always keep the six to nine months of stock so there was no challenges there. At the moment, the deliveries are coming up to four weeks late, but that's not a problem because uh, we've got plenty of stock there. Sponge is made on demand. So we get the orders in today, we bake tonight, we distribute tomorrow. And so we never have to have a stock holding of that. The other thing we have to have a stock holding of is the actual My Secret Cake Mix. So my suppliers, they keep a stock of it, we keep a stock of it, and we have had no issues whatsoever in that respects. Most of the ingredients in there are all UK sourced, apart from uh, some of the emulsifiers, which they source from Europe. But that has not been a problem because they've got enough stock there. Cream is available here. Some of our cream comes from abroad. But again, they've built enough stock to allow us to continue. So we've hadn't had any issues with uh, supply chain problems. I think it's forward planning rather than more than luck. All the sponge you manufacture is effectively to order. Correct. Is the recipe locked away in a safe somewhere? 
It's in my brain. It's in your brain, yeah. <laughs> so you've talked already about the development of kiosks, which is really an exciting part of the growth story. Are we going to see them in every supermarket one day? What are the challenges of rolling them out and how many can you handle? The beauty of our business is we are franchisee-led and the kiosks are an extension of the franchisee shop. So what they do, they manufacture it in the shop, the cakes, and then they sell them in the kiosk in the supermarket or the shopping centre. So the increase in staff is minimal, but their turnover can double. And we supply them with more sponge. And so you give the franchises more earnings. The more earnings they get, the more happy they are. And so that avoids the problems we had at you know one of the famous pizza chains who upset their franchisees. We've always kept the relationship as the franchisee always makes more money than the franchisor, which is a common thread in the franchise business. And we maintain their margins throughout, and we don't put up our prices to the franchisees every two years only. So we take the ups and downs, and it's evened out over the years. And so by keeping the franchisees happy, they work harder, they expand more, and the brand goes up, and we all benefit They benefit and we benefit. It's interesting you talk about the analogy in the well-known pizza brand that scaled very successfully for many years through the franchise model. And it became quite a mature business before it seemed to run into these problems you talked about where there was essentially an infight over who shares the system profitability of the business, whether it's the franchisees or the PLC. I just wonder... Obviously, you've got this fantastic culture and you've got a much bigger, but still a relatively small business. You all get together weekly on Zoom. I just wondered if, as you scale, whether there are concerns about how you keep that culture. It just seems that it's something that businesses lose sight of as they grow. It's a partnership between us and the franchisees. And that's what we don't forget, because there's not an us and them, it's all of us. By maintaining that, by being in this partnership, by listening to our franchisees, they've got concerns, we address them. Or we got concerns, they address it to us. Every single one of the franchisees has got my direct number. They can find me anytime 24-7, and I tend to answer within four rings. No matter where I am, what am I doing, I will always answer a franchisee's phone call. There's no layers or bureaucracy where they have to go through. They've got access to... Chris, our franchise manager, Alan, our property manager, they've got access to the accounts, they've got access to Pardip at the financial department or Dr. Singh at the COO. We get franchises funding up and say trivial questions like, oh, my cream machine's blocked. Can you help me? Yeah, no problem at all. So our doors and our phones are always switched on. We're not like other franchise companies where you can never, ever talk to the CEO. If I'm on holiday, like I was two weeks ago in the calendar, I had phone calls from franchises. I always take them. But they didn't realize I was abroad because our accessibility is completely open. And by having that accessibility, when you know that you can talk to the top man at any time, it gives a sense of fulfillment as well. It gives a sense of involvement as being together. And that's what we like to vote. This was my baby. It's grown up to be a toddler. I want it to see, grow up, get married and have grandchildren. 
<laughs> testament to your accessibility. I mean, in terms of arranging this conversation, your speed with which you responded to emails was amazing. <laughs> I think typically your response time was less than five minutes on most occasions, I would say. I oversee the customer complaints as well, because I like to make sure that the customer gets a reply to within less than a minute. So if an email comes in, I will respond to that email that either I can solve it there and then, or we will solve it within a few days. Mahatma Gandhi said, the customer is not there for our convenience. We are there for the customer's convenience. Without the customer, we have no business. And that's what you mustn't lose track of. The customer is the king. If you make the customer happy, the customer will be your customer for life. I never realized that Gandhi spoke about business strategy. Oh, absolutely. If you research his advice on business, it's fascinating. He done a whole range of topics which we never heard of. But he's absolutely right. No, you want to treat the customer how you would like to be treated. And that is the first training that I give my trainees. I ask them the question, when a person walks through that door, what are they? They're not your customer. They are your living. They are your dinner. Without them, you don't have a dinner plate on the table. And that's what we do. So we like to keep our customers 100% happy. And the first thing when they complain, the thing we ask them is, how can we make you happy? And we follow it from there. Yeah, look after the customer and the rest will look after itself. And my franchisees are my customers. So looking after my franchisees, they look after me. Have you ever been approached to take the format into overseas market? My wish list is to go over all the whole world. It's always in the back of our mind. And uh, if an opportunity arises, I will absolutely take it. But we're still, uh, my toddler's grown up and I'm just getting them into adulthood now. And once that's done and they've settled down with kids, we'll start going abroad. Does Canada look like a good option? It's very interesting because uh, Canada and New York are quite unique. 1.3 million Indians in the UK, 1.2 million Indians in Canada, and 675,000 are concentrated in the greater Toronto area. Your toddler has grown up into being a listed company. I mean, I think, interestingly, when you arrived in the UK equity market, you didn't raise any fresh equity and you have repeatedly said that you don't intend to raise equity. You've taken the opportunity to sell down some of your holding. What's been the benefit to the company to being listed? Are there opportunities to use the paper to acquire other companies? What's the upside from your experience of being now a listed company? The reason we listed was to allow all our franchisees to own the company. It is their company. By listing... They could all buy shares in it, which they did. All my suppliers bought it, friends and family bought it. And straight away after listing, turnover went up. Turnover went up because the franchisees now considered to be as owners of the company. And so more effort went into it, more effort went into sales. And since we listed, or we've had a huge influx of existing franchisees doubling or tripling or quadrupling their estate because they feel so much more empowered because they own the company. And same with my staff. We've got a huge amount of staff loyalty because the staff are right down from the van driver to senior management. They all bought into it and they had a chance to own the company. Even our cleaning department, they all bought it and 
they're still holding on to their shares and the constant comments I get, oh, my shares are worth this much now, my, my shares are worth this much. And it gives a sense of belonging and sense of togetherness. Have you got a share matching scheme where all the franchisees bought shares off their own back? There was some kind of share incentive scheme. No, they bought the share on their own back, but the share incentive scheme would be for willing to use that for the senior staff. And the same thing in head office, we have a canteen in the office department and we've got our canteen in the production and the warehouse, but everybody's free to use this canteen. I'm sitting there, they come in, they walk in there, have lunch with me, they have an informal chat, and there's no us and them. It's all about we together, all in one. Everybody's allowed to come in and have lunch with me. I buy them fruit every week. And I had an ice cream machine, which I put up, and now they won't let me take it out because they'd love to have an ice cream cone at lunchtime, which is fair enough. And then the other depots are going, that's not fair. We want one as well. So I'll have to buy them one each as well. Do you ever turn up at work thinking, oh, no, I can't face another cream cake today. I've got to eat something else. Absolutely not. It's I'm the quality control. Like this week, I think we must have tested about 20 different cakes and the staff have been told, the car staff have been told they can't say no. They're tasting them, they have to taste them no matter what diet they're on. When we spoke last time, you were mentioning you swam every morning. So you have to go and swim it all off the following day, do you? No, that is my thinking time. That half an hour, 35 minutes, I do my one kilometre swim. That is my all concentration time. That's where most of my ideas have turned up. That's where my, my bulb light comes up when I'm doing that swim. I think that's so important. I find exactly the same thing. Why are you following me at 7 a.m.? Because I've had the idea of while I'm swimming, and now I've got to get it out there before I forget it. In the time that you've been running this great business, what have you changed your mind about? Do you view the world differently as a result? The golden rule is that you must want to come to work. On Monday morning, you shouldn't have the Friday feeling that, oh, oh the weekend's come. I want that Friday feeling on, on Monday or that I'm going to work. And that's what all my stuff, they want to come to work. I believe that we've got a great culture here. We've got a great product. We've got a great ethos. And uh, I want to carry on instructing that. And the pleasure I get in having the responsibility of all these livelihoods, 176 shops, that's about 89 franchisees, that's about 1,200 girls in the shops working for us, all relying on their livelihood on us. Great responsibility, but gives you so much more pleasure that uh, you've been able to do something for someone. In my home village in India, we've opened up a free dispensary so the poor, they can have a free consultation with the doctor, they can have a free tests, they can have free medicine and free treatment. Once a year, we do an eye camp. So last year, people can get the eyes tested. If they need operations, we will pay for them. And in Newham, where we started, we do a hot kitchen every Tuesday where I cook for them. So I, I make a, a chickpea curry, a pasta, a rice and cake, of course, for the homeless. And they can eat it, they can take away, we don't say no to anybody. Kate Moss has enabled us to do so. That's amazing. Suk, you've been very generous with your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for sharing your story and telling us about your fantastic business. As a customer and as a shareholder, I um, feel um, very happy. But more importantly, the things you've done with your position of responsibility and the position you've got yourself into in terms of 
the wider benefits of what you've done is fantastic. Thank you for talking to us and hopefully we can have another conversation at a later date. Great. Thank you very much for your time and thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of In the Company of Mavericks, please subscribe at our website, inthecompanyofmavericks.com, where we would appreciate your feedback and any suggestions you might have for future episodes.